because of him. Now, you might say, you see, again, this is the problem. The image that people have of God today is that he's a fluffy old man who sits on his throne and is really begging that people will accept him. You know, he's a really kind of old man type figure, you know, kind of whitish. No disrespect, I'm not trying to be racist or anything like that. But, you know, even in my mind, you know, before I understood the Bible, I honestly thought God was much more white than black. I did. I'm just being honest. You've all gone quiet. You, even you black people love you, you think that as well. Right? So that's the image that we, we've had of God, you know. But actually, there's some serious scriptures that people don't like to read. For instance, one scripture says, God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, you aren't, you aren't going to hear it on LBC, you know. You're not going to hear a preacher go on, on television trying to persuade Western society. And one of the things they'll say is, because God is angry with anyone who's wicked every single day. But that is actually true. God is angry with the wicked every day. Now, to appreciate this reality, as a parent, I love my children. I, I do. I, I really believe I do. <laughs> but when they are being bad, I won't even use the word wicked, I get angry with them. I know they may find it hard to believe. No, they know I get angry with them. I get angry with them because they are misbehaving. But it doesn't change my love for them. But I am angry with them. So when the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day, it doesn't change the fact that God loves the wicked. It doesn't change it. But the reality is God is angry with the wicked every day. Another scripture that I think is, is worth um, emphasizing about why the gospel is important is, or another fact, is the fact of sin, the reality of sin. The fact that sin brings disharmony between human beings and God. And this is the reason why the gospel is good news. Because until sin is dealt with, nobody has a prayer to get in right with God. There is nothing any human being can do. And here is the, 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 the scary bit. Right now, anybody who has sin in their life, when they die, they will go to a very bad place. The fact of sin is a serious issue. So the gospel is God's solution when it comes to sin. The fact that God has addressed the sin issue. So when he says that he's preaching peace through Jesus Christ, the peace is that Jesus now makes it possible for the barrier that has existed between humanity and God to be bridged. The gospel is important for two reasons I want to emphasize. One, the fact of sin. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if I was talking to somebody today who never knew anything about God and anything like that, and I said to them, look, and they asked me, well, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, God's son. And I'm talking about his kingdom. And they say, well, what about it? I say, do, do you know that there is a God? Let's just say they said they agreed there is a God. And I said, did you know that this God who created this world loves you very much and wants you to be with him forever? Oh, really? I never knew that. 
And, uh, but the problem is you have sin in your life that is a barrier between you and him. Oh, really? I never knew that. I don't think I've got sin in my life. I think I'm a very decent fellow. I, I don't do anything wrong. So then I will proceed to prove to them that they are a sinner. Let's just cut to the chase, right? So once they agree that they're a sinner, I say that, do you know that sin has serious consequence? Oh, really? Come on. Surely God is not so um, finicky that he's going to be bothered by a little white lie. Notice it's a white. I'm not being color thingy today. I'm just telling you. White lies. It's never a black lie. White lie. I'm just saying. I'm sorry, my brothers and sisters. God is not so bothered about a little innocent stealing. There's nothing innocent about stealing. God, God is not so bothered about a little, you know, you see a woman pass by and you look. God is not so much bothered about such things. Well, actually he is. Oh, he can't be. How can he be? And then, once I prove to you how bad that is, and you start gulping, because you will realize... I'll show you the law, and the law will prove to you that you are a liar, you're an adulterer, you are a thief, you are a murderer, you are... Oh, you don't think you're a... Who doesn't think they're a murderer here? Can, be honest. Look at you. Now you're even lying on top of it. Ah! Be honest. How many of you... Okay, how many of you believe you're murderers? Hey! Well, according to my Bible, no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. How many believe you were a murderer before? All right. So who did you kill? Ah, you see, okay, so you, okay, you all know it. The fact is, the Bible teaches us that if I have hatred in my heart, I am a murderer. Now, are you seriously telling me that since you became a Christian, you haven't harbored hatred in your heart? Who has harbored hatred in their heart? I need to do some basic case study here because the way you're looking at me. Who has harbored hatred in their heart after they got filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues and prophesied? Let me see. Ooh. So there's a lot of murderers in the church at a certain time. Okay, fair enough. That's all of us. Now, this is what the law does. The law will prove to you the fact of sin, that you are a sinner. All of us are sinners. All of us have had idolatry in our heart. Idolatry is the biggest sin. Idolatry is the biggest sin. You know what idolatry broken down is? It's where you put something first or someone first instead of God. How many of you did that this week? This week. Hey, Holy Ghost filled, tongue talking, idolatrous. Amazing. Amazing. No, you're not. The blood washes. But the point is, that is the fact of sin. Everyone has sinned. There is no sin. You know, sometimes we categorize. In fact, in the Bible, there's only two kinds of sin. Sin that leads to death, which we're not even supposed to pray for you concerning. And only believers can commit that kind of sin. And sin that does not lead to death, where you can repent. Sin that leads to death, basically, is where you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and you decide that you're not going to receive the grace of God. That's the sin that leads to death. And then the sin that leads to death is the one that all of us do, have done and do, where you can repent and receive forgiveness of sins. Now, the fact of sin is very serious. So the gospel is that Jesus has dealt with sin. But apart from that, is the consequence of sin that's even more 
serious. The consequence of sin. First thing about sin is that it produces judgment. In other words, it brings a verdict that says you deserve this. That's what the judgment of sin is. It brings judgment. And then it also produces, uh, it takes us from being owned by God to being owned by Satan. So it puts us under Satan's dominion. And then the third thing about sin is the worst one, which is death. I want to highlight these three briefly. One, judgment, the consequence of sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this. Therefore, as through, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Now, what I want you to notice is that when Adam sinned, it produced judgment which resulted in death. But the fact about sin and its consequences is this. Every sin has a judgment to it. Every sin has a judgment to it. So, without Christ, we are all sunk. That's the fact. Without Christ, Jesus Christ, is that, is that, that's not swearing when you say we're all sunk. Because when you just looked at me, it's like, huh? Right. We're all, we're all lost. We're all lost. We, we, we really have, have it bad. Without Christ. Because there is a judgment of sin. There is a judgment when it comes to sin. And then the second thing about sin is this. It causes us to be alienated from God. And brings us under the dominion of Satan. Now, Satan is not a nice guy. You know, some people actually... I think amongst the, the, some of the Hollywood fraternity... There's a fashion of worshipping Satan. There's a lot of stupidity in our world today. And that is one of them. To worship the devil is really stupid. You see, let me put it like this. Even before I knew Christ, before I knew Christ, I, I was sharing my testimony the other day, and I was saying that as a child growing up in Chebi, in a town in Chebi, in Ghana, Ghana is a country, it's a place that really exists, and Chebi really exists. As I was growing up there, I remember I, about, I must have been about 10 years old. Saint, my friends and I we were just talking, random talk. And then my friend, one of them said, have you ever worshipped the stars? And I said, no. But as a 10-year-old, I had been tempted. I remember one day looking up in the stars and having this urge. This is all generational stuff. They've all handed it to the generational life. Having this urge to lift up my hands to the stars. Not worship God, but worship the stars. I had this urge, but I thought, nah, that's not correct. So I didn't do it. I, I felt like doing it. I wonder if any of you have done it before, but I felt like doing it. Now, that's a bit bizarre for a nine, ten-year-old to do. But I did. Right? So even at that age, there was something because of sin that made it possible for Satan to pull some strings in me. But God in his mercy stopped it. And here's the, the, the crazy thing. People actually worship the devil and they think it's really cool. Because in the end, somehow he's going to win. He's never going to win. Even the new Christian can cast him out. He can't win. He's here, but, the, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. Look at the scripture. First John 5, 19. He says, we know that we are of God. 
And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world. The whole world and its system lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's why at times you see wickedness really pervading some of the foolish laws that are now being propagated. Some of the, the philosophies. Why do you think abortion is so welcomed by the world? Think it through. An unborn child, the most helpless in our society, hasn't got any rights. A rat has more rights than the unborn child. What kind of society will allow a rat? I'm not saying rats shouldn't have rights. They, they should have rights. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying rats shouldn't have rights. But for a rat to have more rights than an unborn child, that's insane. And then we use arguments like, what if the mother was raped? Of course, it's a terrible thing for the mother to be raped. But it's not the child of the fault. It's not the child of the fault. It's not the fault of the child. It's not the fault of the... You see how passionate I am about the thing? It's mad. It's a crazy philosophy. It's, a, it's an ideology that is demonically inspired. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There's all kinds of philosophies. Think it through. Imagine if... I took it, God, you know what, I don't want to be really gruesome, but imagine if I, I killed somebody's child, God forbid, God forbid. Imagine if somebody killed somebody's child because it wasn't convenient. We'll, we'll all be at outrage. The other day there was a woman who killed her two children because they were interrupting something. And we all are abhorred by it, rightly so. But we don't have a problem with the unborn child being killed because we call it the right of a woman to choose. Nonsense! The right of a woman to choose should not negate the right of an unborn child to live. I don't care. I don't care. It shouldn't. So there you have it. I've laid my cards on the table about that one. But the whole world lies under Satan's dominion and also... When we have sin in our life, it gives Satan legal right over our lives. In first, in, not first, Ephesians chapter 2, if you can put it up, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, is very, very clear. If you can put it up for me, that would be really great. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. He says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Next one. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Next one. Among whom you also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Now, here's what I want you to see. It's okay, thank you. Here's what I want you to see. All of us once were governed by the prince of this world, which is Satan. And he dictated how we governed our lives. The whole world lies under the sway of the devil. And that's part of the consequence of sin. When sin is in your life, it gives Satan access to your life. Whether you like it or not. Whether you're worshipping him or not, it doesn't matter. The devil doesn't care. Whether you say Lucifer is Lord, Satan is God, Diablos, we worship him. He doesn't care. He knows that that's not really where he's at. It's whether you put yourself first or not. Because that's proper satanic worship. Proper satanic worship 
if you want to study the doctrine of Satanism, is do what you want. That's what the devil, because he knows if you do what you want, you become an enemy to God. Shall we move on on this light teaching this morning? Another consequence of sin is death in all its forms. Spiritual, soulical, and physical. Now, some people add financial, material. Look, that's all spiritual, soulical, and physical. There's no financial death. If your spirit is dead, everything you've touched God is dead. There's no you know, financial death. You know, you can be right with God, but your finances are dead. You, look, let's just cut to the chase. It's one of the styles people use to get people's money. It's spiritual, solical, and physical. Death in all its forms. If your spirit is dead, your money is dead. Everything you have is dead. That's how it is. There's a lot of dead people with a lot of money. And there's a lot of holy, alive people with no money. It's life. Let's move on quickly. (laughs) Death in all its forms. There's a reason, but I won't touch on it today. But the most serious kind of death, and often the most ignored, is what the Bible calls the second death. The second death. I want to read two portions of scripture. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But Revelation 20, 12 to 15. He says this. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What will you do with the gospel? Anyone who was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's a serious thing. The first time I read this, I was terrified. I read this as a young person, as a child. And I thought, what? I don't want to be in that, in that soup. So, so, the gospel is about Jesus Christ making it possible for your sin to be dealt with so that you can have peace with God. That's the first thing. The second thing is, so that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the gospel of the kingdom, which is that you are now able to enter into God's kingdom and live under the rules of his kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is the good news about the kingdom of God. In other words, now that Jesus is the Lord of your life and God is ruling your heart, he can now affect every area of your life. He can now affect every area of your life. Beginning with your heart. So the gospel of the kingdom is the good news about what the the rule of God actually looks like. And that's why at times when you share the message of Jesus Christ, you then demonstrate the kingdom to prove that what you're saying is true. By praying for the sick, for them to be healed. By casting out a demon. By operating and praying for a breakthrough in somebody's life. As a result of what you have shared. 
But if people are not giving the gospel of Jesus Christ or why Jesus is good news, which is the sin has been dealt with, and they are just giving a message about the kingdom without how you enter the kingdom, then if you're not careful, you end up having a lot of people who come into church for benefits but are not prepared to deal with the real issue of their life, which is sin. The devil doesn't mind you having all the benefits of God's kingdom as long as God doesn't have your heart. He doesn't mind. So, with that in mind, I want to just emphasize briefly the different responses there are to the gospel. Now, in Mark chapter 13 from verses 3 to all the way to 23, our Lord gives us the parable of the sower, which is a, a kingdom parable about God's word. And in the parable of the sower, you can read it. He talks about the fact that a, a sower went out, or a farmer went out to sow seeds. And as he sowed the seed, some fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air ate it. Some fell on stony ground, and it grew. But as he grew for a while, as he grew up, because he didn't have much roots in the ground, the birds of the air, sorry, it um, didn't have much um, roots on the ground. Um, as it grew, it withered and died because it didn't have roots. Then the third was it fell among thorns. And as it grew, the thorns choked it so that it couldn't be fruitful. And the fourth one fell on good ground and yielded fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And this parable, really, Jesus our Lord said this in another place, that if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any other parable. Because it's a parable about how the word of God works in our hearts. And so within the context of the gospel, when, when the gospel is preached, there are four different responses people will have. Number one, those who do not understand it and therefore they reject it. That's those who hear the word and then the beds of the air devour it. The Bible, in another place, it says that it's trodden down. Under the foot of men, which speaks of men looking down on it. It's like it's, it's rubbish. So you hear the gospel and you think either you don't understand it or if you think you understand it, you think it's not relevant for you. And Paul experiences. One time Paul was preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 17, 6 to 8, uh, 16 to 18, he was preaching the gospel and then... <laughs> It says in verse 18 of Acts 17, certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Can you imagine? The great apostle Paul, after he done preached proper apostolic preaching, they referred to him as a babbler. Talker, talker. What's this babbler on about? And so always talking about some gods. They just classed him with everybody else and said, he, he's talking about some gods. Why? Because he was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. The fact that there are many religions today is nothing new. It's nothing new. Hinduism was around before Jesus came in the flesh. Buddhism was around. The only guy that wasn't around was um, Mohammedism. That's a later thing. Let's just be honest. And it's not a better revelation as far as I'm concerned. It's a terrible revelation. As far as I am concerned, it's my personal opinion. 
So, those who do not understand it, and therefore reject it. And then secondly, those who, when they hear the gospel, this is another response. They don't weigh its cost. And therefore, after they accept it, they can't last. It is those who have what we call easy believism. Easy believism is a folly. I've just got five more minutes and I'm done. It's the folly of where a person just accepts something. Like I'm talking now, you're not researching the scriptures I'm giving. You're not going to look into it to see whether what the man is saying is so or not. It must be true because Pastor Joe said it. That's a very stupid outlook. Don't, don't have that. It must be true because Pastor Joe said it. Well, it's true, but still, you shouldn't, you shouldn't just accept my word for it. You, you, have to, you, have to, you have to find out for yourself. It's very important. Now, James chapter 2, verse 19 and 20 is an example of easy believism. He says, you believe that there is one God and you do well. You do well. Even demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So, when you don't allow God's word to find root in your heart, your faith will not produce any lasting fruit. So, when you hear the gospel, you have to think it through. I remember, as a young guy, when I, when I began to understand the gospel, I was really upset. I didn't receive it with gladness at all. I thought, ah, I can't have sex anymore. Till I'm married. When is that going to happen? Who's going to want to marry this one? I was really upset. So, you know, I was like, oh. that was one of the costs. Some of you haven't even counted that cost at all. You're still going for it, even after you've been baptized and speaking in tongues. You haven't counted that cost at all. It's not even in the equation. That's why you're suffering in your work. Yeah, we have to count that cost. I remember the day after I got saved, in the bathroom doing things that young men do in the bathroom. And I, in the middle, I said, oh, no. I can't do this anymore. That began spiritual warfare on intense levels. I said, what? I remember after I got saved. Now, nobody told me this. I, I really used to enjoy swearing. Some of you still enjoy swearing, but I used to enjoy. And then as I swore, I would you have to count the cost. This thing is not easy. I was so upset with myself that I gave my life to Christ when I did. I said, why couldn't you wait? What? I actually said to myself, what possessed me to give my life to Christ? Because the cost was too painful. Yeah. Those who do not weigh the cost will reject the gospel after a while. This is rubbish. It doesn't work. It's not true. We don't believe it anymore. The Bible was given by men. All that kind of foolishness that we would have liked to believe if we hadn't counted the cost. Yeah. You think we don't have all that? All those things we would have wanted to believe. After all, again, I'm kind of doing the color thing. It's a white man's religion. I remember that's why I used to say it's a white man's religion. I was looking for a reason to reject the thing. It's a white man's religion. But it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. 
please, I'm just telling you. Anyway, you know what? We have to tell the truth. You know, so the third response are those who believe. This is, this is where the majority of the churches, but allow their lives to become distracted by the world and legitimate concerns. The gospel. What will you do with the gospel? You believe the gospel, but what will you do? What will you do with it? Yeah, you've received Christ. So the fruit is coming, the word is coming. But as it's bearing fruit, other things. No, no, it's, this is not sin. It's not fornication. We, we, that was in the first group, the, the, the number of the first group. This is legitimate concerns. My children. Hey! My children. The other day I was talking to one of my sons, and you're telling me about, you know, children. I said, my friend, knock it off. I said, look, you are hiding behind your children. So no, no, you don't understand. My I said, I understand. But you had excuses before the children came. I am so glad I have more children than some of these people. Let's move on. So, so this legitimate concerns. So it chokes the word and it doesn't bring forth fruit. Some people, the reason why they don't use the gospel is because they are now married. Ah! Before you were married, you weren't fruitful. We saw. So stop lying. You saw. Honestly. It's not like you were some flame of fire before you got married. And then after you got married, suddenly your wife or your husband put water on. No. You were no flame of fire. And you are even worse now because now you are blaming your spouse. After we done pray breakthrough for you to get married. This is the, 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 let's move on. Last but not least. Those who fall on good ground is the correct response. Where the word comes in and then over time it brings forth fruit. What will you do with the gospel? Will you allow the... I ask myself this question. What am I doing with the gospel? Will you allow the gospel to influence you in such a way that over time it will produce fruit in you? The gospel will produce fruit in you. This message that... The world is under the sway of the devil. People are going to hell. It's a real thing. Unless we are all lying. It's just made-up fiction, fantasy, fairy tale. But if it is true, and it is true, what, we, what are we doing this message? This gospel message. When Angela was sharing about the amazing work, and I thank God for Angela and the team. They are awesome. They're really awesome. One of my big concerns about what we're doing in terms of me is these people, how can we reach them? How can we follow up? Because terms of is a bit far. It's a bit awkward as well. Even if we wanted to have a church there to get a hall, for every hall, there's about three churches. So it's, it's even not practical. And then as I sat there, I realized, ah, if 10 of our members here, 10, decided that they are prepared to follow up on those families and do Bible study with them. We can disciple them for Christ. They don't even have to come to here on Sunday. All we have to do is to go to them. Can you imagine if 10 of us were willing to do that? <laughs> Say to your neighbor, what are you doing with the gospel? I'm sowing a seed. 
I'm sowing this. I want us as a church to really allow what Jesus has done to count. Not just because we are saved, but through us, many are saved. Let us pray. So I want to pray over us. I want to pray over you. And those of you who you feel like God is speaking to you, you want to do something with the gospel, you are saying yes to God. I want to pray for you. Those of you online as well. So if that's you, you want to respond this way, stand where you are. As you stand, you raise your two hands to the Lord and you tell him, Lord, I am saying yes to you. I want to do something with this gospel. Father, thank you for your people. As you stand, raise your hands and tell him, voice it to him. Holy Father, thank you for every one of us as we're standing, as our hands are raised. We are saying yes to you. Just tell him, Lord, I say yes to you. We are saying yes to you. We are saying yes to the gospel. We want to use the gospel. We want to do something with the gospel that will bring glory to you. Lord, as a church, those of us here, those of us online, those listening to the sound of my voice, I am praying, oh God, your grace will come upon us and that we will say yes to you about what we do with your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you very much.